0: Okay, three, two, one, clap. Hey everybody, this is Alex, and this is Lunchbox Radio. Now, if you haven't noticed yet, you should probably go check the link in the description of the podcast, because I am actually doing this in video form. And what I mean by that is you can go, the link will take you over to a YouTube page, and you'll be able to see... Me and all my gloriousness, mostly behind a mic arm. But you'll be able to see the podcast, hopefully starting from now. Now, the first thing I want to do is I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast up until this point. Um, I will try and keep this consistently a video thing, since the recording is an easy way to do it. But I can't make any promises, because... Sometimes stuff is thrown together with dental floss and duct tape, and we just gotta do what we hope works. But on that note, I wanna get into what we're talking about this episode, and that is a little revival of a show called Shaman King. Now, normally, um, I will actually drop the um, opening sequence for Shaman King 2021 in before this. But what I want to talk about with Shaman King is something really interesting. And part of it is about... Se- part of it is... I don't want to call it censorship. Part of it is well, it's the best word for it for what happens with Shaman King, is really censorship. And that's for a bunch of different reasons. So, if you know Shaman King, at least in America, or largely outside of Japan, really, it's probably because it's had an adaptation before. Um, I have it from the battle... I actually have it digitally from the battle days. I have the full, like, 60, 64, I think, some odd episodes of Shaman King from the battle days in, um, my, in my, like, super secret, um, digital anime collection from the battle days when I was in college, and I was doing things not necessarily super legally, but one of the things that happened with the 2001, um, adaptation of Shaman King is that it, it cut a bunch of stuff out. And also was one of the early anime feds through the four kids grinder, so to speak. And what that meant was it had a lot of things changed for, you know, late 90s, early aughts, you know, preteen kids watching anime on a Saturday morning. And what things like pretty inane things happened... Like they changed names, like Monta very quickly became um, Morty.
1: <laughs>
0: um, he is he is an earlier Morty than Rick and Morty's Morty, but they called him Morty largely. Um, for most of the rest of the character, I believe they actually kept all of the names, which is kind of stunning. Um, there's a TikTok that um somebody did, and they've asked, like, hey, what are some of your earliest notes on anime censorship or things that were changed for an American anime, and they talked about all the changes they did to names for the first cast, and then the massive amount of changes they did for the second cast of Digimon. And this is more along that line. They just, I feel like, um, especially in the 80s, 90s, and early aughts... TV executives were imagining this, like, conversation... That parents were having to have with their kids... When they, like, watched Pokemon... As in, as in, what the hell is a rice ball, dad? That just... Like, we all knew those were never happening... But they were just... It was so... The perspective was so... Shallow that—that's what they ended up doing, and that's how you get. And also, there was a clear desire to inject comedy where there didn't need to be comedy. So they would make things like Monta is now Morty because it's a slightly horror-tinged show, and so and Morty is a pretty comedic character all around in the show proper so they made those changes there now one of the other things they did with shaman king on the whole not even just as the um at the show also in the manga was they drastically ramped down different aspects of the show and to be clear if you go watch shaman king it's a kids show. It it, it it's a kids in battle thing that was true in the manga. That was true in the two thousand one rendition. That was true in the um. That's true in this show, and it's true probably more in this show than it was in the original in the original adaptation. At least from what I remember, and. That means that it's got a very kid focused thing and something I appreciated when I was watching this was like you have these like super powered badass essentially middle schooler fighting fighting each other and adults and there's a scene fairly later fairly late on in kind of the second, arc, I forget what episode it is, but it's when, um, Ren and Yo, by the way, spoilers for this, for the whole first season of Shaman King, because it's on Netflix, you can literally go watch it now, but this whole thing is pretty like, the kids look like kids, like, it went there's a whole section of this thing where, like, frequently Yo doesn't wear a shirt, Ren doesn't wear a shirt for a whole section of his of like his backstory. And he looks like a little kid. It's not like he's it's not like he's like Gohan where it's just like muscles piled on top of each other and he just kinda like moves through the world. It they're drawn like children are supposed to be drawn and that's across the board for all characters. Adult characters are adult proportions and adults and they feel like adults, so you can tell a clear line of, like, age between the characters. None of that, But also, it's... So, A, you're not going to get any, like, 5,000-year-old lowly princess girls. But also, you get 13-year-olds that feel like 13-year-olds, 20-year-olds that feel like 20-year-olds, and everything in between, which is a really nice change. Also, and I forget the um let me see if I can't pull up the original um the original mangaka's um name here. But the original manga one of the things that's really um awesome about the original mangaka is that he is a pretty um he's a pretty well known He's pretty well known for being one of the manga that really embrace digital art. As digital art has gone forward, and so if you look at the manga for Shaman King, it has a lot of things that are more easily done in digital. in the digital art world, like it's got super sharp. It's got super sharp um, finishes. Nice flat, n- nice flat presentation, it, and this has happened more or less with n- not all manga manga but a lot of manga artists. They they've all adapt to adapted to the way n- creation happens with new tools, um, and I'm not saying that like you know boo anybody who still submits paper manuscripts. Those are probably, A, incredibly valuable, and incredibly beautiful, and require incredible skill. But the mangaka, who, um, the mangaka, name I can't find, um, is, has done a lot of work to adapt his style into a digital style... And evolve up with the times and the available um what's the best word for it and the available tools at his disposal now what that ends up meaning is A. his, his style is already pretty super flattened and all that stuff what that ends up meaning is that his style for the First, the original adaptation, and now the um, 2021 version of the adaptation is really, really, really well tailored for it. You you look at um, any any of the characters, maybe with the exception of Ryosuke, but Ryosuke is a pretty classic archetype of a like. Uh, delinquent turned not quite yazuka yas yasuka, um not quite um gangster but almost their kind of character and you get these characters who are really who really graphically stand out who are really sharp and clean looking and you can um, you can identify them from like miles away. Um, in the same way, but with way different visual treatment. That you might identify some a character like Luffy. You can identify a character like Yo. If you've never seen Yo Asakura before, uh, you look at him and you know he's from his own show. It's not like he fits in quite anywhere else. He has his own whole aesthetic and vibe. And that's... To do that in a really pared-down way, believe me, as a as a digital artist, I know this full well, to do that kind of work, do that kind of character design work in a really pared-down way, takes a lot of skill and thought. Now, I started out talking about... Um, talking about, talking about, where's the word, censorship. And what I meant by that is a lot of stuff got cut in the original adaptation, but a lot of stuff also got cut from the original publication of the manga. And one of the first things that this, that this adaptation, that the 21-21 adaptation does, is it sets down and it says, we are giving this a more modern treatment. We are giving this the space to be really what it always has been, which is one of the earliest examples of a more modern, sh- young shonen boy's story. And you're probably like, what do you mean? And what I mean by that is if you watch something like, say, Soul Eater, it's a great example. Soul Eater starts in one in one kind of mode and ends in a totally different place. It gets really dark and it gets really ponderous about some pretty serious tropes in the world. About, about some pretty serious things in the world. And it kind of doesn't care... Where it go? Where it? How dark it's going to take you? It's, all at once, this show that started with like a young girl and her like weapon partner hunting uh, monsters and witches goes to this place where it's got a very, it's got a, it's got a lot of very sexualized, adult, unhealthy, manipulative. Uncomfortable relationships. It's got a lot of conversations about mental health, about how people treat mental health, about the, about all these different things that are real and in the world. That... Not that a... Not that a property like, say, Dragon Ball V couldn't do, but that a property like Dragon Ball Z isn't necessarily interested in. And the way that um Shaman King, especially this adaptation, does that, is it starts you with like the sinister framing of the story you're about to see. And you actually see Yo and later on and also Howe's birth. And like their family you know, in their family dwelling, and it's this big sinister scene that, to be clear, was not part of the original adaptation, but I suspect was probably part of the manga. I haven't read the manga, but the effect of that is it starts you off in a totally different place than the original adaptation does, or even the... places the adaptation starts from in the manga does in that it sets up like oh that's the bad guy in the original in the original adaptation of shaman king you didn't really know who the bad guy was until how shows up and that translates to oh he's he's the bad guy he's the surprise bad guy in this sh- in this adaptation, you see how and the spirit of fire immediately it's like it's abso- it's absolutely immediate it's the first scene of the show and then you get dumped into yo's yo's life when he meets manta and when and then Anna comes along and it's like it's closing in on the middle of his early life instead of revealing it to you piece by piece by piece by piece, by piece in the original show and I believe in the first in the first ep- in the first adaptation, it was maybe the f- I want to say the eighth episode that you encounter Faust and Faust is your first. Like, breaking of the second thing... Of the first big thing that is a... That is Shaman King's... Kind of... That is Shaman King's... Twist on the form of the shonen action genre main character. So, when you think of shonen main characters... You think... You largely think of them as having a goal. Even something... That was like kind of god awful as that um, manga drawing thing by the um, by the artist who did um, Death Note had a main character with a definable goal of getting something published in Shonen Jump, and that gives them drive and it gives them purpose and all this stuff. But often than not, with <laughs> so the great There's a great um, description of the difference between Batman and Robin. And why Batman is so much more... um, It's so much more inspiring to kids than Robin. Because the thing about Batman and Robin is... Robin... You can't be Robin. Robin is already... Like a... You know, 13-year-old wonderkin who can flip around the best of them and all this stuff. Robin is what Robin would become. And Nightwing and Red Hood and all the different future permutation, or Red Robin, or all the different permutations of Robin in the future, are like extensions of what Robin already was to a certain extent. But Batman is is a character Anybody can grow up to be, technically not really, but technically, anybody can grow up to be Batman. So, what usually happens with characters in shown in action in shown action shows is the reason why they're, lots of times cast older than their, most likely cast older than their target demographic, is. You want to give the kid a chance to be able to grow into that to that character. To be able to grow up and feel like they can become, you know, Yusuke. Feel like they can become Goku. Feel like they can become um, Luffy. But what do you do with a character who is your age? What do you do as a character who could be... Like, if you're pitching a, at a 13-year-old and you're showing them a 13-year-old... How do you treat that? How do you make that character? Do you make them as earnest and as, like, forthright and, like, have the purpose and c- clarity of mind to go after what they want? Shaman King's answer is no. And it, it's a better show for it. Yo isn't a... doesn't aspire to be the best. He aspires to, like, be a slacker and he loves music and he is a kid. That's not... That's not a bad thing, though. Especially once you get into the ultimate villain of Hal, who they take until... Until largely the the end of this new um, reboot, of this new um, adaptation to introduce you to, for good reason. And they do kind of the same... It goes kind of along the same timeline in the um, original adaptation as well. But the reason why Yo works so well is because it it feels like an honest character. He's a fun-loving, you know, young kid the way he should be. And the show makes it its job to present him with a reason to really... ...do his best to learn what he needs to learn... ...to be, you know, to be a contender for Shaman King... ...in the Shaman Tournament. And so... ...in contrast, when you get to Hal... ...who has much of the same, like, carefree... ...like, lackadaisical... ...vibe as Yo... But is so much more sinister because he's determined and he's built from the ground up to be the Shaman King for reasons of evil, basically for reasons of ancient reincarnated evil. It flips it totally on its head. You see, you end up seeing Yo as less of like the earnest character as more and more of like no, like it, that guy should not be the Shaman King. How should not be the Shaman King in any stretch of anybody's imagination? That is not good for the world. Yo, it's like... So I had somebody in high school describe me as a force of nature. Um, As... as How did they put it? They said, are you a... When... I, I think they... The way they said it is... People can be kind of put into two categories they're either like a an experience like a force of nature or like an event or something, or they are like a big personality and I got initially really offended when <laughs> a, a pretty good friend of mine was like yeah alex you're like a you're like an experience and a a force of nature of a person and Now that, but then, uh, probably about a month after the fact, removed from it, I kind of understood why people would perceive me as that. I am wholly different than the world, than than especially the world I grew up in presents people as. I am like a wholly independent, mixed race, disabled person. Confidently walking through the world. Um, if you go watch the video, you can finally see what I look like. But as I s- confidently don't gaze into the camera because I'm not I'm not used to this. I'm not used to this. You don't you judge me for this. But what ends up happening in this show is Yo feels more like a force of nature because here's this kid who it's only just. Barely in, like, normal society, kind of meeting the standards. Like, yeah, he wears his uniform, but he doesn't wear an undershirt, and he wears his uniform open, and he wears this big tribal necklace, and he carries around these big fuck-off-I-don't-want-to-talk-to-you headphones that he doesn't even really wear on his neck. He wears them just behind his ears. And what that looks like to a lot of people is like, no, don't talk to me. I'll just put these on and walk away from you. And that's a... He sends off all these very aloof, lackadaisical, uncaring, floating-through-life vibes off of him. And that doesn't mean that he doesn't value his friends. He really values his friendship with Manta. He... yeah, Anna, once she shows... Anna shows up in, like, episode two. He very clearly cares about her. This show, this adaptation, makes it way clearer that they are engaged and have been engaged for, like, years, maybe a decade. (laughs) And, like, even um, the character of Tao Ren, who is a treatment of, like familial anger and rage and what it can do to a person that's pretty... that's pretty thoughtful, actually. Um, And what it can do... What your fam... What... heaping your family's baggage or your baggage with what has happened to your family on your kid can do to that kid is really a better way to put it. And they... All of these characters work out to be... and I'm only talking about the first season here, which is why I'm not talking about, um, Deathiel. Um, and I will get to... I will get to Hor... to, um, Horukaru and, um, Ryosuke, because I think they're really fascinating. I want to talk about them. Um, and Faust is... Faust shows up for an episode and... He doesn't much factor in after that, but um, I'm just going to leave him be, but we'll get to um, Horokeru and Ryo Nosuke in a second. But what that... What this real understanding of what kids can be like and the kind of baggage kids can and can't have does for this show is it makes it so you don't really have to care uh, about whether or not like they want the thing because you can identify to them as just like humans in the world and that's really important so at this point I want to talk about um a little bit more about the um about the censorship that went on from, um, the American to the Japanese audience in the original, in the original adaptation from two thousand one, and this adaptation now, and also this will involve four kids. So, like I said, a bunch of times before on this podcast and on this, on this episode, four kids had a habit of like imagining stuff that they thought kids couldn't understand. And what I mean by that is the, obviously the infamous jelly donut scenario of like that's not a jelly donut, it's a rice ball but that's downstairs in our heads. Um, there were also things like um, th- and this was, this was definitely an FCC thing and this is way more necessary if you've ever seen Tenchi Mu- the broadcast version of Tenchi Muyo versus the, like, home video release of Tenchi Muyo. You know that lots of bathing suits were painted on lots of characters because, in post, digitally, because they wanted to broadcast that on American television. That requires that they not be nude. <laughs> the character not be naked. Um, But the big things that happened is cultural things were lost um so if you look at 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 horokeru and you at and you watch the original um adaptation you haven't watched the new shaman king yet watch it because horokeru is from a part of japanese society um that is probably best related to they're probably best likened to um Native Americans in America. And that is the um how do I don't wanna call it? Inuit isn't the word. Um Inuit is native Eskimo. But actually Inuit isn't a bad word. Um so um the the I people. And if you've ever seen um Golden Comedy, then you've know who the Ainu are. And the Ainu are... The Ainu are... indigenous Japanese people who have been somewhere on the line between persecuted and protected by the Japanese government since the modernization of Japan. And the Ainu people are really closely linked to nature and living alongside nature in the same way that, um, traditionally Native American people have been. And it's really interesting that this story involves so heavily Native, like, Native American characters, and at a certain point, they say, screw it, and they just go to America, and they go to a, um, Native American Indian, um, reservation and they have so one of the funniest things so if you don't know much about if you're a if you're japanese and you're listening to this which i know there's a chance of because once again shaman king has a lot of very clearly american aspects in it and also i do have a three percent listenership in japan you can go and watch shaman king and i think like later late really late on in the um first thirteen episodes that they released on Netflix, the scene where all the characters, all the um shaman fighters get on a plane, and this plane is like the tackiest, most bought by this Native American tribe plane and has like this insane mural on the side of it, and that's kind of a reference to the Legal, to the like legal thing that happens with the Native Americans is once once you ca- once you are categorized as a Native American tribe, you get designated your own land in America you, and it's a, it's a reservation and reservation Native American land reservation are essentially like other countries in America like that they don't really have the power to like go out and start trade routes with like India or something. But they do function under their own law, and one of the first things that most Native American tribes do once they get their own reservation, their own lo- like plot of land, is that they put up a casino. And it has been seen for a long time, and the casinos end up causing lots of problems and lots of problems in Native American reservations. It's it's a it's a thing in America, but there's also this like tacky we built a casino aspect to building a casino and that's really what I have appreciated about the plane like oh most built a casino they made enough money off their casino where they bought and customized the plane now that ends up that plane ends up being a um a conjured spirit and blah 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 whole little like first challenge of the shaman fight thing happened but it's this, like, fun, dumb, I-kind-of-know-what-I'm-doing moment from the original creator. And this whole show takes little pokes at the real world and at what the real world kind of... And brings aspects of the real world, like Native American people, like the, um... Like the I knew people, like um, like Ryosuke's... like Ryosuke's... like Ryosuke's character and his gang, and it takes them real hard looks at it, in a in a way that's understand that understandable by little kids, and takes a lot, and is a lot, um, what's the best word for it, is a lot. I don't wanna say is is a lot more charitable to the subject it's pointing its camera at than lots of other people would be. So if you've ever read the um book, um and I think I did a episode on this book, actually I'm fairly certain I did an episode on this book, called Um Tokyo Vice. That book is um the kind of the life insurance memoir of one Jake Adelstein, a former I think he's Dill reports for the, um... for the Yamanori Shinbun in Japan, and he wrote that as an insurance policy against getting killed by the by the Yakuza. But what he does in that book is he talks about his subjects and he switches all their names around to protect all their own di- identities. But he presents all of them honestly, and he presents all of them in, like, a real... full view. So there's, um... A character in the beginning, of, in the, in like the first third of that book, whose um like moniker is the cat, and he's this old, he's this older yakuza boss, who Jake gives him some information and ends up saving this old guy's life, and he's like, you know, information is really valuable. I can already tell that I won't get stabbed tonight because you saved me. And for the rest of the book, this guy is, like, the nicest guy in the world to him. <laughs> He's like, hey, I remember that time you kept me from getting stabbed in my in my bed that night. Here you go. Here's some help. And he does that to, and he gives that treatment to a lot of characters. He treats them like humans. He doesn't treat them like things to be... ...scared of things to be stared at. And so often, even in anime, which has a habit of being a lot more generous with, say, female characters... ...than Japan as a nation is. Um, don't let that bad Olympic opening fool you. They're super chauvinistic. Um, but... ...through Ryosuke and through more directly the gang of people that he that you encounter him being the leader of Do you see that like Ryosuke is an adult and a lot of these people following him around are adults or young adults and just the world has left them to the side and it this show gives Ryosuke as a character so much heart and so much you know, honor and moral dignity that it's so, and it it also treats him as, like, the visual joke design of the show. Like, his hair keeps getting more and more insane. At some point, he has collars that are, like, extend, like, wings out from his, like, bad, white 1950s Yakuza suit. It's, if you play for pretty good visual comedy effect it's very weird but by taking a character like that by taking like a really audacious group of like once again not, not quite Yakuza but not quite just delinquents you and kind of like ...making them fun a little bit... ...it lets... ...it lets... ...the viewer... ...which the intended viewer for this is once again a 13-year-old Japanese kid... ...see these people more three-dimensionally. And that way, maybe, just maybe... ...if they walk by, like... uh, ...an underboss who's, like, having a bad day... ...like, he's not doing anything bad at that moment... But he just like having a normal day, drinking his soup, and he spilled on himself. It will give you this. It will give that person the space to look at them and feel like, oh, he spilled on himself. It like it, there's a lot of, and this is true of um of Afghanistan, which I will get to. Um, if you were were not prepared for this show be political in any way, hey, what have you been listening to up until this point, but I'm going to dive into that a lot more, dive into Afghanistan a little bit in the next episode, because I'll be covering the second season of No Guns Life, Um, But so look forward to that, but the... The kind of humanness... And the kind of... Understanding that... Like... Good and evil are labels... That we put on things... And... That... The world around us... Forces us... To put on ourselves... Even... It's a really... Combined with... Um... The personality they give Yo... The personality they give... All the characters... Including like... Anna and Manta, and Ryosuke, and Horukeru. And And even Ren, who is like this character who's clearly fighting for justice, but he's just pissed about
1: all of it.
0: Makes this a really fun... Makes this a really interesting ride and a really worthwhile ride, even if the 13 episodes that they released don't cover as much as I would want them to. Like, I would ideally want more of the Shaman King story here than we do get, but I still think that it's valuable what we do get, and I think that Shaman King, kind of, no matter at what age, is worth your time because it's so... It's so unique of a thing. And on that note, if you like this podcast, you can subscribe to it in any podcast reader, when you in any podcast player, when you get good podcasts. Um, you, new episodes come out every Thursday and Sunday. Thursday is me talking about a specific show like this. Sunday is more textual. It's more fan, fandom-based. It's more my random thoughts on something in the industry. More than likely... I'm gonna talk about the Crunchyroll Funimation shit again. I'm gonna have to do it. They keep pulling me back in. But um, until then, I've been Alex. This has been Lunchbox Radio. I will talk to you on Sunday.